Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And I trust something you hear in the next hour will inspire you, inspire you to think about human health and well-being differently. Maybe you'll look at politics, organizations, and leadership models differently. And maybe you'll look at cultural transformation and consciousness differently. You're wondering what I'm talking about. Well, maybe, just maybe, everything in your life may begin to make more sense after you listen to this conversation. Sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Well, our guest today shows us how magic can happen when we give full attention to our soul's desire for self-expression connection, and contribution. He says the path to health and well-being involves satisfying our ego's needs in tandem with our soul's desires. Well, how do we do that? You might be asking. We are going to have a delightful conversation with our guest today, so I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your mind, connect with your heart, And settle into your essential self, that universal self, as I introduce our guest. Richard Barrett is an author, speaker, and internationally recognized thought leader on the evolution of human values in business and society. He is the founder and chairman of the Barrett Values Center, a fellow of the World Business Academy, and former values coordinator at the World Bank. He is the creator of the internationally recognized cultural transformation tools, which have been used to support more than 6,000 organizations on their transformational journeys. To date, more than 5,000 change agents, consultants, and coaches have been trained by the Barrett's Value Center to use the cultural transformation tools in over 50 countries. And if you haven't heard of that yet after this show, go Google that. You're going to see all kinds of images and amazing, helpful tools as we look at ourselves in the world as well as our organizations. Richard is the author of numerous books. Numerous. I'm not even going to list them all. I am so in awe of how many books. Richard has written, but the latest, A New Psychology of Human Well-Being, an exploration of the influence of ego-soul dynamics on mental and physical health. Great book. I am so excited to introduce all of this to you. So let's get started. Welcome, welcome, Richard. Thank you. Thank you, Julie. I am so delighted to have you here today, and I've been looking forward to this show for weeks, I have to tell you. Okay, let's weeks, do weeks. it. Let's do it. You know, um, I, I was introduced to your work quite a while ago, and little pieces were filtering through, and then it just seemed like 
boom, the time was just perfect for me to really dig into this. So I'm really excited to do that. But first, Richard, I have a traditional first question here on the show. I like to ground our conversation into a bigger perspective. So first, can you share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? All Things Connected is basically, for me, um, how we live um, at the soul energetic level. Um, I call it the fourth dimension of consciousness, but really, um, it's who we really are. And at that level, all is connected. Um, At that level, we're all individuated aspects of the universal energy field. So at that level, when I give to you, I'm giving to myself because um, we're all aspects of the same larger field so that's what it means to me and um it's at the core of who we all are mm. Perfect. Well, you know, that's a good introduction to really talking about the ego and the soul and defining that for our listeners. But first, I really want to hear your story, Richard. Here you are. I'm going to say 70 years old because the book says that you're 70 years old when you talk about your own development. But what an incredible gift you are to humanity of helping us really synthesize and bring in all these different theories and models and philosophies and worldviews. And then this very, um, what do I want to say, practical application that can help us to really discover not only our personal health now with this incredible book that you wrote, but also organizational health. And you even take it out into to nations and larger cultural perspectives. So tell us, Richard, who are you? How did you get here? What is your life story? And, you know, what's the background that brought you to this moment in time of sharing these incredible gifts with the world? Okay, I'll try and keep it short so that we can talk about other things, perhaps more important things. But um, uh, let me go back um, to the period when I was about 45 years old. I was uh, at the top of my game as a transportation engineer working at the World Bank in Washington, D.C. And suddenly I was uh, absolutely and totally bored with my career. And I said to myself, well, what have I been interested in all my life? What have I been reading? I'd been reading Eastern philosophy. I'd been reading everything on Carl Jung and psychology. I just read about everything I could that dealt with the topic of spirituality. And I thought to myself, well, that's what I'm really interested in. And I thought, well, I need to uh, change my path here, but I don't know quite how to do it. And it occurred to me at that moment that when I was 17 and I chose my career um, as a transportation engineer, I'd actually, uh, I, I must have been deaf in one ear because my soul, I thought my soul said transportation, but actually it said mm-hmm. transformation. And so mm. that's when I began uh, to, I thought, well, I, what I can do is perhaps write a book on personal transformation. And that got me started. Um, that was around... Um, I, I don't know now, uh, 1990, yeah. And I spent uh, two or three years writing that book and realized very quickly, within a year or two, that 
uh, it was called A Guide to Liberating Your Soul, that I had more books to write. It was as if I got the message, there's more books to write. And I knew that there, another, there would be another book on organizational transformation, that would be the next one. And then more books on even on, on societal transformation. And I was like, I was a little bit in awe of that. And, um, but it, I began to really get the depth of what was happening to me about two or three years later. I was still working at the World Bank, but I'd, I'd finished my book on personal transformation and I was doing workshops at the weekend with people. Um, and I was working in doing a workshop in Boulder, Colorado, and uh, it was on helping people find their mission in life. And so in the second afternoon, uh, one of the people said to me, well, what was your mission? And I had a very well rehearsed affirmation. I'm a internationally recognized speaker and author on personal and organizational transformation. I wasn't, but that was my affirmation. Well, when that person asked me that question, I could not, for the life of me, remember those words. You can imagine that was quite embarrassing. So I closed my eyes and I said, hang on a minute, I'm struggling to find words. And out of my mouth pops, I'm an architect of global transformation. And I realized at that moment, that was my soul speaking to me and that was my destiny. And... It took me a little while, a month or two, to get to to understand that and, and relax into the idea that if that was what my soul destiny was, then um, I didn't have to effort to make it happen. All I had to do was pay attention to what my soul was bringing to me to do. And that's basically what happened. I left the World Bank. I, I wrote my book, Liberating the Corporate Soul. I invented a way of measuring consciousness. I wrote it up in that book. This became, uh, that was like 17 years ago uh, or more. And um, I uh, actually, it's nearly 20 years ago, next year actually. And um and began to use this model and the tools I developed to, to measure consciousness by mapping values to a model called the seven levels model. And uh, I used it in organizations and very quickly we were operating all over the world and the company grew and grew. And after seven or eight years, I, um, I stopped being the CEO and I moved to be chairman, let my partners run the business, uh, valuescenter.com. And, um, so I could write books. And since that time, I, I've been writing uh, a book a year now, seven books in the last seven years. And, and that's really, I, I just sit down, my soul tells me exactly what books to write. And when I start writing, um, I get messages all the time, um, usually about four o'clock in the morning. I wish my soul wasn't so, such an early bird, but anyway. <laughs> I get these downloads of information and I'm awake and then I have to get up and start writing at five in order to capture whatever it is that's coming through. And I'll spend a whole year doing that and that'll be another book done. And then I'll get another message, which is what the next book will be. And so, so and that's basically how it goes on. Anyhow, that's basically in a nutshell where I am. And part of the whole story here is I I developed this model of seven levels of consciousness, but it's also seven stages of psychological development, which applies to everybody on the planet. And as I say at the beginning of uh, my new book, A New Psychology of Human Wellbeing, I couldn't have written that book any sooner because I, I you know, it took me all my life to get through the seven stages. And because the stages are linked to age uh, in a in quite a big way and an important way. Anyhow, um, 
So um, that was the that was the last uh, instruction I got from myself was to write that book, and now I've got a new instruction which is coming through around about the next book. So I'm already started on that. Mm, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. If if you're going in a trajectory, it's going to be really exciting to see where you go from here. But so thank you for sharing that story about who is Richard Barrett, because I love that conversation about um, not listening to transportation versus transformation and moving because you literally are an architect of global transformation. Let's start at the beginning here. And it's I agree with you that you probably couldn't have written this book, but it feels like this book should come first when people are, you know, really exploring this topic. It's like, okay, let's do the personal piece and then let's take ourselves into the organizational piece. But you start by defining ego and defining soul. And you were talking here that your ego is telling you what to write. Your ego is is writing these, or excuse me, not your ego, no. your soul. Yeah, backwards. Your soul <laughs> is telling you what to write. It's writing these books through you. And so let's define that for our listeners here today. Let's define what is ego and what is soul. Okay, so soul, uh, sorry, ego is who you think you are in this three-dimensional material world. And um, the, act, the soul actually creates the ego. Um the soul uh, belongs to the fourth dimensional energetic world. The, the ego belongs to the three dimensional material world. So the soul incarnates into the uh, physical body very, very soon after conception. And um, for the first, uh, during the time in the womb and the first two years of your life, the, uh, the, the reptilian mind brain is basically the dominant my conscious mind and the soul mind apart from the first two or three weeks is the subconscious of the reptilian mind and 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 up to the like 18 months the the baby is very influenced by the soul mind and thinks it's living uh in a boundaryless uh connected system and there's nothing everything is the baby there's no objects out there and that's basically uh, the baby's living in that fourth dimensional energetic um, continuum. And what happens is, as the, as the, the body begins to feel uh, stresses and pains, that is felt by the soul as a lack of love, and it's painful for the soul. And comes the moment when the baby begins to recognize that it's not the only person around. In other words, the separation that for the soul is extremely painful because it's used to living in this world of total connectedness. And at that moment, around the year, at the end of the 18 months to 24 months, the soul creates the ego as a buffer to uh, interface with this material world that we live in. And the soul takes a step back. Um, because now the limbic mind brain the, it becomes dominant around two. The reptilian mind brain becomes the subconscious of, of the limbic mind brain and the soul mind becomes the unconscious of the limbic mind brain. And gradually what is happening is that the soul consciousness and soul awareness gets pushed into the background and it goes even one further step when the neocortex becomes online and becomes the dominant mode of um, of connection to the world, 
that moment, the limbic mind brain becomes the subconscious, that's the emotional mind. The body mind, that's the reptilian mind brain, becomes the unconscious, and the soul mind now is the super unconscious. So by the time we get to eight or nine, the soul with its desires and intention is now way back in the super unconscious, and it created the ego to be a buffer. And so now the ego sets off basically uh, up to the age of about 24 on its three stages of development, the surviving stage, the conforming stage, and the differentiating stage. And once you get to that point, the, uh, the next stage is the individuating stage where you begin to let go of the fears that the ego has developed. The ego, basically your personality at that stage is a mask, which is the mask of the ego, which uh, the ego is wearing to get its needs met, um, its survival, safety, and security needs met in its three-dimensional material and social and cultural framework of existence. And as you let go of those fears, you will open yourself up now back to the activation and the influence of the soul. And from from age 40 onward, you go through three more stages of soul activation if everything's going normal. When And finally, you finish up at the, you go through self-actualization. Uh, the next two stages, the last stage is the serving stage, which starts in the 60s. And that's when you become servant of your soul and you reconnect with your soul deeply at that point and live the life of your soul. I say the servant of your soul, but actually that's who you are uh, that, when you get to that point. So that's the journey of the soul, and you can see the role that the ego plays. The ego is really essential to give you a solid, give the soul and the body vehicle uh, a, a good start in life so that the, that the soul can live out its purpose. Problem is, when the ego gets too many fear-based beliefs, it gets lost in this three-dimensional material world, and the soul can't activate. Yeah, I'm going to just pause there for a minute because there's so much that we're talking about here and and this differentiation. I, I love in the book how you um, you used an example of you speaking at a conference and asking them to stand up with a few questions. And um, do, do you want to share that with you before I ask sure. my next related yeah, yeah, question? Yeah, I will. yeah. Uh, the, the, a reason I include this story in the book, and it's only uh, like uh, 18 months ago this happened, is I wanted to show that we can't rely on the on science or, uh, let's say, the, the science that is taught in universities, the academic world, uh, to, to help us understand who we are. And I, that, I illustrate that in the book in this way. So... Um, 18 months ago, I'm at one of the top business schools in uh, in Europe uh, doing an opening keynote speech. Now, the conference is called uh, Creativity, Spirituality and Management, uh, you know, edgy topic from a, for a business school. And I'm doing the opening keynote and I decide to do, there's 300 people there and I'm doing, I decide to do something I'd never done before. I get the instruction from my soul to do this. I, I was a little nervous, but I did it. And this was what I did. I said to the audience, look, I want you to stand up if this statement is true for you. And then I said, um, I have a car. And uh, nearly everybody stood up. And then I said, I am a car. And everybody sat down. And then I said, uh, one or two more things. And then I said, I have an ego. And nearly everybody stood up. And then I said, I am an 
many go, yeah, some people stood up, most people sat down. Then I said, I have a soul. Everybody in the room stood up. But what was amazing next was I said, I am a soul. I have a soul, everybody stood Then I said, I am a soul. Everybody stayed standing. So I said to the audience, well, wait a minute, you're very clear whether you have a car or you are a car, but you're not very clear whether you have a soul or you are a soul. And I said, the truth is, the soul has you. Now, that was kind of, you know, really interesting and illuminating. But what came next was even more interesting because the next two speakers who came on after me were two neuroscientists from the USA. And they said, well, the first slide they had was the assumptions we make. And the first assumption was there is no soul. And I, <laughs> I was, uh, I mean, everybody, everybody was like amazed. And I was like, wow. <laughs> and then it just, it just illustrated to me how uh, the fact that uh, the academic world, and in fact, the world of psychology has completely um, forgotten about the soul. Um, if you go back to Maslow, um, Maslow was very aware of the soul. He didn't call it the soul. He called it the inner core or whatever. Uh, you go back a little bit further to Carl Jung. I mean, Carl Jung was big on the soul. And then at the same time, uh, Roberto Asagioli, who the inventor of psychosynthesis, who lived in Florence, near where I am right now, um, he, he, he had a, his whole psychology was about the soul. But since that point, in the middle of the 19, around 1950, 60, um, the soul has been completely taken out of psychology. And, and so now psychology is bereft of the soul. And that's why I, I, I got inspired and got the instruction to write a new psychology of human well-being, which is basically all about the soul, the energetic world of the soul, and the material world of the ego. Yeah, perfect. And you do a really masterful job of weaving in what's come before us in all of these disciplines, and then you transcend and include. So I really appreciate that. One of the things that you talk about in the book, too, that really helps us understand ego versus soul is, is you talk that the ego has needs, and the, souls don't, the soul does not have any needs because it really doesn't need needs but it has desires so let's talk about that what's the ego what are the ego's needs you mentioned it really yeah. quickly a moment ago and the soul's desires yeah well let me tell you why the soul has no needs first of all because the soul comes from an energetic fourth dimensional world where it creates through its thought so anything it needs it thinks and it has it so so that's why the soul has no needs now the ego on the other hand is is um it's the guardian of the soul now the soul incarnates into the into the human body and gives the body the will to survive now you check out on do a google search you will not find any scientific document that tells you where the will to survive comes from and the reason is because the will to survive is the soul's will to be present in three-dimensional material existence. It's That's what the will to survive. And so the body mind, the reptilian mind brain and the limbic mind brain and the neocortex are all imbued with the will to survive, which is the soul's will to be present. Now, 
if the journey of the soul is too painful, too difficult, because the soul feels pain in the sense of when there's a lack of love, the soul will pull out of this existence. And that can happen. Uh, it's known as SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. That can happen in like month three or four of the baby. If it is had, if the soul is not strong or if the soul is a young soul or if the soul has had a, a difficult journey up to that point in the womb and through the first few months, the soul can um, pull back out of the uh, that journey. Now, um, Julie, I have got so involved in my thinking now about what I'm talking about, and this often happens to me, I can't even remember the question. <laughs> well, I was just talking, that was a good lead-in to that question, because we were talking about the difference between ego needs oh, yes. and soul's desire. Right. So so now the ego, the, the, the ego takes over from the soul around year two to protect the soul from all of the energetic pain of uh, separation and, 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 and difficulties of being in the material world. And so the ego has uh, th three basic needs. First of all, the need for survival, and that's built into the reptilian mind brain, the will to survive, and it affects our whole uh, homeostatic um operation of our body and ourselves then the next uh, is the safety so from age two to about eight it's the limbic mind brain that takes over as the center of consciousness conscious awareness and 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 that focus of that is on safety within the framework the familiar the family framework of existence and then uh, the neocortex takes over, and this is about the time, eight, nine, or ten, when you're beginning to move out of the family into the larger world. And what you're looking for now in that larger world is security. You want to be recognized and acknowledged as a valuable member of a group or a community. And so that's what happens in your teenage years. You your image becomes really important, um, latest technology, being part of a group, and so that's the security. So, so we the, the needs of the ego are survival, safety, and security. And you could say it's survival, relationships, and self-esteem. It's another way of saying that. And, 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 and that carries on up till when the neocortex finishes developing. Believe it or not, the neocortex is not finished developing until you're around 24 years old. And at that point, um, the, that's the almost the completion of the cycle of the ego development. And, and, and so those are the needs of the ego to get you to that point. And if you fail to get your needs met, you develop subconscious beliefs during that period about uh, I don't have enough, I'm not loved enough, and I'm not enough. Now, as I said, the soul, uh, which now can gradually be activated, uh, doesn't have those needs. Its desires are three. Um, and at the self-actualizing stage, that's the fifth stage of development, the desire of the soul is self-expression. Um, the expression of who you really are, because at the previous stage, the individuating stage, you let go of the mask of the ego and you open yourself up to, the, to who you really are. So in the 40s, you want to express who you really are. Find your true passion, find your purpose. And, and then in the 50s, you want to make a difference in the world by living 
your sole passion. But to do that, you have to be able to connect with other people. And so the next desire of the soul is connection, unconditional loving connection. And then we get to our 60s where now we, we found our passion, we're able to connect. Now all we want to do is contribute. And that's the serving stage in the 60s. And so the soul comes to express, connect, and contribute. Now, what is interesting, and which I discovered in writing this book, is that if you have difficulty at the surviving level of consciousness, where you're trying to get your physical needs met, not to two years old, and you develop some limiting beliefs at that stage, uh, what happens is that those limiting beliefs affect you when you get to the self-actualizing stage because it's difficult for you to, you have these fears about survival which prevent you from self-expressing. And at the relationship level, at the conforming stage, when it's all about building relationships, if you don't, if you have fears about that, these show up at the sixth stage of development, the connecting stage, because if you've got any fears left over from that ego stage, they will help, they will prevent you from connecting at that stage. And if you've got any fears left over from the differentiating stage about being good enough and being fit to fit into a community in a peer group, those fears will show up in your sixties when you're trying to contribute. So, so the egos. Success, the success you have in mastering the ego stages of development very much play out into um, your success and failures at soul activation. And each stage of development uh, has linkages through to the chakra system. And failures at certain stages of development lead to very specific diseases in the body um, because the stages of development are linked to the, the seven stages of development are linked to the seven chakras and the, and the, and the uh, seven um, sets of endocrine glands. So uh, our listeners just listening to you can see the layers and layers and layers of of what you've woven together. I mean, we've learned about so many of these different pieces and you've pulled all these threads through and you've woven such a, an, a really applicable model in these seven levels. And so our listeners can probably tell we're talking about levels of consciousness and stages of development and really weaving that into, it's kind of like a roadmap. So we need to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to talk so much more about why this matters, how it matters to us as individuals, but really look at what's happening on our planet, what's happening in our organizations, and this whole global transformation that we've been talking about since the beginning that Richard is a master of. So we're talking with Richard Barrett, author of A New Psychology of Human Well-Being. We'll be right back. are at risk of foreclosure and losing their homes. Fortunately, help is available. Making Home Affordable is a free program from the U.S. government that has already helped over a million struggling homeowners, and we want to help you. I'm home. I'm home. And I love it. I'm home. I'm home. 
Find out now what your options are. Go to makinghomeaffordable.gov or call 1-888-995-HOPE. The sooner you act, the better chance we can help you. I'm home. I'm home. Where I be. Brought to you by the U.S. Treasury, HUD, and the Ad Council. This week's episode, Danger at the Old Well. Last one to the old well's a rotten egg. Ha-ha, I win. Whoa! Ah! Sassy! Johnny fell down the well. I'm wet. What, Sassy? You know where Mr. Gunderson keeps his rope? Go get it, girl. What? You'd rather use his time to set people straight about shelter pet adoption? I'm cold. People shouldn't be afraid to adopt from a shelter? Because shelter pets are screened for sound health and temperament? I'm wet and cold! Sassy, what about Johnny? (laughs) What? Let Johnny sit in the well until he learns to be more self-reliant? Sassy! What'd he say? Sassy is brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. Remember, adopt! Come to the forest. It's a place not so far away. A place where you don't have to mow the lawn or babysit. I saw lizards and squirrels and bugs. Ladybugs, caterpillars. It's really cool, actually. A place where you don't have to make time for free time. Lots and lots of kinds of species here. Out here, you may even meet the mysterious creature known as the other you, the enchanted you. It's magic what flowers do. The adventurous you. My favorite tree, yes, is that one. The free-to-be-me you. (laughs) Ask your parents to take you to this not-so-far-away place. Come to the forest, where the other you lives. But first, stop by discovertheforest.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you are inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and maybe just listen to it again and again. You can do that by visiting our website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as listings of our upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. And also stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. We are talking today with Richard Barrett, and you can find Richard at valuescenter.com. Again, he's with the Barrett Values Center, and he's using the cultural transformation tools, and you can find all of that right there on the website, valuescenter.com. And Richard, thank you. You're the whole organization and your contributions are really incredible. And we've been, as we introduce this topic, I would really love to take this out into our organizations and our culture and, and what's happening in the world. So I just want to remind our listeners, you can find so much in this, this new book, the new psychology of human well-being. It is like an encyclopedia, but we're, we're talking about how, We operate at levels of consciousness, we grow in stages of development, and we live inside worldviews, and you are a master at pulling that together for us. So, Richard, when I 
when when your body of work resurfaced for me, I was really down and and inquisitive one day thinking about the levels of consciousness on the planet and the levels of consciousness that was really feeding a lot of negative politics. And I don't even need to say more. Everyone can relate with what I'm talking about here. But but that's when I saw this really amazing graphic of using your your seven level model and it it had right beside it um, how it applies to the personal and the organizational and even nations and we were talking about self-interest moving up to common good and here was your seven level model of showing those lower levels of ego and self-interest moving to the the soul's desires and our and and our common good. So tell us a little bit about how you use this model to help organizations and maybe give us some insight on what's going on with the political arena on our planet right now. Sure. Uh, first, Julie, could I just make a, a little um, statement? Uh, when you go to valuecenter.com, it's spelled the English way, uh, C-E-N-T-R-E.com. But really, if you really want to get uh, all of my materials and all the free stuff and the videos and the podcast, you should go to richardbarrett.net. Uh, that's B-A-R-R-E-T-T. Uh, sorry. B-A-R-R-E-T-T and uh, .net, and you'll find an, uh, an amazing amount of stuff there. So now let's get Perfect. back to your Yeah, thank you. Thank you for question. clarifying that. You bet. Um, difficult to know where to start. So we, I invented these tools for measuring consciousness by mapping values to the seven levels. Every value that you can think of is linked to one of these seven uh, levels of consciousness or these seven stages of development. And I realized that one could... If you went into an organization and asked employees, what are your personal values? What values do you see in the organization? What values would you like to see in your organization? Or you do the same thing in your community or in the nation. You can actually plot the personal values against the seven levels. You can see where people think the organization, community, or nation is and where they'd like it to be, the desired culture. And in those gaps, you have a pathway of transformation. And... So this model and these tools, known as the cultural transformation tools, are, 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 being, are being used worldwide for, uh, we've been using them now for, as I say, almost 20 years. And so we're operating in 80 or 90 countries and um, it's, uh, we're able to uh, map the values of organizations and help organizations transform. Some of the tools also uh, can be used for uh, personal transformation because you can ask people, a leader, what values they have and then you ask 15 people who work with that leader what values they see in the leader and we can plot those and compare the leader's perception against the perception of those people who uh, work with that leader. And again, you see in the differences a whole pathway uh, to transformation. Now, we've used these tools in 26 nations now, um, and uh, all of this information is available on the Values Center website. And uh, what really, I started experimenting using it in nations in 2002, but what really got my attention was in 2008 when we mapped the values of Iceland and um, 
I went to um, Iceland uh, in, in the beginning of September 2008, and I saw the results, and I was shocked because Iceland is the number one democratic country in the world, and we measure something called cultural entropy. It's really the the level of fear that people see in the nation in the current culture, and it was high. It was like 52 percent, and. I, I was absolutely shocked by that. And so I said, I went there and I said to the people of Iceland um, in the meetings I had, look, if you were an organization with this level of cultural entropy, you'd be going bankrupt about now. And two weeks later, Iceland went bankrupt. I couldn't believe it. Uh-huh. And and so I began to realize how significant this tool was. And what has happened in Brexit and what's happening in America right now has just consolidated my belief because we mapped the values of the United Kingdom in 2012. And again, we had we had uh, cultural entropy up in the 56%, and which is really high. And, and I, I began to say to myself, you know, there, there is something not working in our nation. Um, and then when the Brexit vote came and every, it shocked everybody, I realized that what we've been measuring is uh, the, uh, the level of in, uh, how people feel about inequality, the people who, who feel badly done to, the people who have not been able to move into the higher levels of consciousness, the people who have been stuck in the survival level. And, and what we were measuring in, is, in fact, um, something really important. And uh, when Obama took over uh, the presidency, we mapped the values of the United States for four years running. Uh, we just did that because we could. Um, and um, it, it, again, the results are fascinating because um, throughout that period, we still had this very high cultural entropy in America. And and I... And I, I I've, re- I've realized that what it's all about, it's really, as I said, it's about inequality, it's about people being disenfranchised, etc. And so recently, I wrote a blog um, um, about Donald Trump's values and um, why he has such a good following or big following. Um, and uh, <laughs> I have to tell you, <laughs> that blog has had thousands, six or seven thousand hits. I, I couldn't, I never had a more popular blog, I tell you. But basically what I did was I, I looked, uh, when I was writing a book called A New, uh, a New Leadership Paradigm, or The New Leadership Paradigm, I, I wanted to find out, uh, I read a few books by leaders and I realized that leaders write books from the levels of consciousness at which they operate. And so I read Donald Trump's book on leadership called Think Big, Make It Happen in Business and Life. And, uh, and I, from that, I was able to distill 10 values that Donald Trump espouses in that book about what's important to him. And when I looked at those values and analyzed them, I began to realize, you know, what's going on. Uh, he's got uh, at the first three levels of consciousness, the survival, uh, the safety, and the security level. He has three what I call limiting values. These he stresses in his book, ruthlessness at the survival level, revenge at the second level, that's the relationship level, and image at the self-esteem level. Now, these are what I call limiting values. So, you know, if you don't get – what's obvious to me is that Donald Trump didn't get these, these 
basic needs met when he was young. He had a very troubled childhood. And so, uh, you know, if you grow up with the value of ruthlessness, revenge and image, you obviously had a tough time um, during getting your needs met when you were young. Now, also, Donald Trump's got this... uh, other values, which are quite positive, he's disciplined, he's giving back, he's passionate, he's loyal, he's focused on profit, and he's focused on winning. Now, when you combine disciplined with winning and ruthlessness and revenge, that is quite a toxic mixture of values. I would be hate to be up against Donald Trump because he's going to be disciplined in his revenge, he's going to be ruthless in his winning. And I, you know, that was like a real eye opener to me. And then I said to myself, so who is it? Who is it that is, um, you know, who's voting for Donald Trump? Well, it's people who resonate from the same levels of consciousness. I'm not saying these are ruthless people or revengeful people, but from the lower levels of consciousness. Now, there's no judgment here. I'm just telling you what Donald Trump put down in his book, and I'm not judging him as a character, nor am I judging the people who... um, Uh, voting for him. All I'm saying is that they have unmet needs at these first three levels of consciousness, these ego levels, and they resonate with Donald Trump because he has unmet needs at those levels. And so um, people who feel disenfranchised, who never really got a good start with an education, people in blue-collar jobs will resonate with the consciousness of Donald Trump, and, and that's what you've got right now. Yeah, thank you. That's it. That was really clear in how you described that. I really appreciate it. And I'm wondering, Richard, now with with that observation, and I really appreciate how you talk about the levels of consciousness resonate. Of course they do. There's this resonance there, and then there creates this stronger coherence within that level. What would you do then? What would the Barrett Values Center do if say we hired you and said, okay, now help us move out of this place of polarization now. And we're looking at these levels of consciousness and and people aligning with candidates where they're resonating within this, the levels of need. What, what now? What now? We have a few months till this election. What can we expect? But what might the Barrett Values Center coach us to, to move out of this place? Well, um, you know, frankly, (laughs) I hate to say this, (laughs) there's nothing we can do right now. This thing is set. Um, It's set to play out and it will be what it will be. And I've always said, uh, you know, in America, actually, I am an American citizen. I lived in America for 24 years and I am also uh, have a British passport. Uh, So I know America very well. Uh, America always elects a president that reflects the average level of consciousness of the nation. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. what happens because uh, when you resonate with somebody's values, you vote for them and that's what you get. Um, so I, I don't think I think we need to look to the future and I think we need to look to the future, not just in America, but uh, even in Western Europe. And it all begins, I think, with education. I think where we are completely wrong is in our education system. You see, when you recognize that every individual, every young child is a soul and is coming to this life 
for self-expression, connection, and contribution, are we teaching that to our children? No, we are not. We're preparing them from an ego-driven competition world. That's what we're preparing them for. We're not preparing them to be souls and to fulfill their lives and live a wonderful life. Because when you are able to live from those deeper places of self-expression, connection, and contribution, you have a long life and you have a healthy life because you're totally in tune with who you are. Do we teach that to our kids? No, we do not. And so I think the biggest issue right now on the planet is changing our education systems to recognize who we really are and bring our kids up with They'll still have egos, and they'll, but we can, we can teach them skills um, like uh, values-based education skills. And many schools now that teach kids about values and how to negotiate with each other. We can teach kids self-expression. We can teach kids how to contribute. We can give them a wonderful preparation for the rest of their lives and living out their lives in soul consciousness. For me, that is like number one. Um, I was recently invited to um, United Arab Emirates by the Ministry of Education, and and, and you know I, I don't think they knew quite what message I was going to bring, but that was the message I took: recalibrate the education system to recognize that every child is a soul, and the soul has desires, and these are the desires. Let's educate our children to be like that, to be fully fledged souls. Mm. I I thank you. Yes, I couldn't agree more. I think that just transforming our education system to really bring this message in is so important. Do you, in your opinion, Richard, can those at different levels of consciousness, we're talking about these stages of development and levels of consciousness, can... Can we aspire toward those others when we see where we're at? So if I'm, say, I'm in um, the, let's go back into, I'm individuating, and I'm seeing, I have something inside of me that says, yeah, we're going to move toward the common good, the greater good of the whole. I want to move toward this service. Can that just, I'm, I'm thinking about your tool here. Does this tool help? reveal this journey as a map for us that we can say, yes, now I want to really aspire to align with, with my soul and what, what my soul's desires are. Does the tool yes. assist? How does it do Absolutely. It? it does it at the personal level. It does it at the community level. It does it at the organizational level. It does it at the national level. Let me give you, uh, let me give you a website that everybody can go to where they can do their values assessment, their personal values assessment. It's the Values Center, www.valuescenter, C-E-N-T-R-E, Values Center, all one word, dot P-V-A, personal values assessment. P as in Peter, V as in Van, A as in assessment. Valuecenter.com slash PVA. You can do your personal value seven. You get the results back in about three or four minutes, and you can see what levels of consciousness you're operating from. Now, so to answer your question, 
when people do this, uh, leaders do this or individuals do this and they get feedback from others, they can see where they are operating from and they can see how they're perceived by others, what levels other people perceive you at. And that um, really then is the beginning of a coaching session, usually about two hours, wherein the person gets feedback and they're able to uh, begin to make changes. So. The same thing happens in organizations when uh, when the organization result comes in, the first thing that the leader does is say, well, what's the level of cultural entropy? And the, we want to bring that down. These are the percentage of votes for limiting values. So when people pick 10 values, how our organization operates, they can pick values like uh, creativity, trust, openness, but they can also pick values like blame, bureaucracy, et cetera, et cetera. Those are called potentially limiting values and the percentage of votes for those values from the population gives you the level of cultural entropy. So you want to bring down that level of cultural entropy to about 10% or less in order to have a high performing organization and we've done enough of these now to show have lots of graphics that show as you bring down the level of cultural entropy every other performance indicator in the organization increases. And so again Julie I've done what I normally do and I've uh, I got so involved in answering your question, I can't remember what the question is. Well, you I, you did answer it because we were talking about what we can do when we're at different levels of consciousness. Oh. Are we inspired to use this tool as yeah. a map? And and you did. You answered it on an individual okay. level, organization, culture. And so what on the planet? We have about three minutes left, Richard, and this has been so good. There's so much right here. There's. I'm just going to encourage all of our listeners to go check this out. But in three minutes or less now, as a architect and architect of global transformation, what might you want to say to inspire us as we're looking at the state of, of, of really big institutions breaking down our planet? What would you want to say that might inspire us? What's left to say? Oh, mine. There's so many things to say. Okay, first of all, pain is a gift. Okay, pain mm. is a gift. It's telling you exactly what's not working in your life. Look at it. Work on it. It tells you where you've got fears. Pain is a gift in, in organizations too. When things are not working, it's telling you exactly where to look in order to, uh, to correct that. Um, at, at the societal level, um, you know, I never finished really telling this story, but basically these high levels of cultural entropy that we see in nations that we measure now, um, and it's all really about the issue of inequality. Um, the issue of inequality is huge. In America, it's also large in the United Kingdom. We have to correct that because we have to have a system whereby we recognize the oneness that exists at the soul level and treat other people as individuated aspects of that. Uh, universal energy field so that we don't get that. And then finally, for each individual on the planet, if you want to have a long, healthy, fulfilling life, um, you need to confront your fears because the fears, the survival fears, the safety fears, the security fears that you develop when you're young. And sometimes, you know, this is not in your control. You were dealt difficult cards. You would develop 
adult parents who didn't really appreciate you. But you have to face those fears and go through them in order to be successful and open yourself up to the soul because the soul can't live with fear. It lives in love. So you have to remove fear from your life in order to let love in and activate your soul. Mm, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Richard, that was an exquisite prescription for all of us. I so appreciate that. And I want to thank you just authentically, deeply from my heart. Thank you for sharing this with us, with the planet, with organizations, with individuals. Thank you so much for doing this. You know, um, I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> When the soul says so, you gotta listen, right? <laughs> oh well, it's what I do. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, and I hope to have you on again. I can't wait to hear what the next book is. And I'm we are talking with Richard Barrett, author of The New Psychology of Human Wellbeing, and also the founder of the Barrett Value Center. You can go find out so much more on valuecenter.com and richardbarrett.net. Remember, together we can make connections for the greater good of the whole. Until next time, sending you a world of love. Bye for now. <laughs>